0: Welcome to the Energy Fellows Podcast, where each episode is designed to share expertise and experiences from U.S. and global energy fellows. They provide direction and possible solutions for ultimate journey results. Here's your host, Mark Stansberry. Enabling best-in-class customer experience and operational excellence in a hyper-connected oil and gas world, TCS prioritizes problem-solving and leverages customer insights to drive real business results. To find out more, go to tcs.com. That's tcs.com. Welcome to the Energy Fellows Podcast. I'm Mark Stansberry, your host. You know, the challenges ahead and the opportunities we have in the energy industry are very broad. Recently, for example, I was in Houston with energy leaders discussing energy issues and views and where we're heading and why ahead. And it was very lengthy in discussion with energy leaders. And part of that group, as far as the leaders at present, with Sarah Cove. She's the Managing Director of the Taligence Group. Welcome, Sarah.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Well, it's great to have you on the Energy Fellows podcast, and we definitely are meeting some of the challenges ahead by discussing. I think it's so important to have conversation and dialogue. I've tried to make that a practice throughout my career. It's getting a long career, 45 years, but, but we're not always reaching the goals that I had set along the way. But with discussion, I think we can. So, Sarah, I'd like to start off with really about you, about your journey of life. And this is listened to by, you know, students, those that are up-and-coming leaders, those in the workforce, energy workforce, up through the senior leadership. And so we can all take tips and advice and discuss this with our fellow, you know, workers in the workplace as well. And we'll be talking about workplace as well. So, but first, tell us about you.
1: Great. Uh, Yeah. Thanks again, Mark, for having me. So, I live in Houston these days, but I didn't grow up in Houston. I actually grew up on the northern border of the US, mm-hmm. sometime in Montana, Minnesota, Vermont, and Maine as a child. Eventually, my parents really wanted a farm and wanted a farm in Vermont. And so we ended up there for my later childhood. And so, growing up, I was part of large, beautiful nature scapes, it was in my background. And then I was very interested in, I went to college and I studied environmental science and public policy. I went to university at Harvard and was interested in, you know, what does the future of really the world sort of look like in a, a world where carbon in the atmosphere is a challenge. Uh, carbon elsewhere maybe isn't a problem, <laughs> but carbon in the atmosphere is an issue. And how do we think about that? And in my background, I actually came from a family that really care about the environment, but I also have a large portion of my family that are from the mining communities in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. My grandfather came over, or his family came over from Italy in the 1910s, 1920s, and settled in mining communities in West Virginia, and Wellsburg, West Virginia. And That was their livelihood, was around thinking about energy in that form at that time. And so for me, it became one of the things I saw as a kid was both this question of the environment, as well as communities that live and have spent generations working in energy, but that tension between the past and how energy was produced and the future and how we need to think, kind of reimagine it. And so for me, that became a question of mine and going through life. How do we take care of the communities? How do we people think about transitioning people from different careers into new ones, where they have this amazing skill sets, amazing experience, and they can also really think about the future. And so that's sort of been a space of mine for a long while that I've thought about. After college, I actually went and lived in Southern China for a while. I was interested in both learning Mandarin, but understanding how, think about energy and carbon (laughs) based out of the now largest emitter of CO2 in the world. China? What does that look like? And so I had just sort of this career that hadn't really led me to energy right away. It was actually, I moved to Houston about 12 years ago, and that's when I became much more strongly embedded in energy, both in the oil and gas side as well as in electricity and utilities. So my background after I left university was around systems thinking and organizations. How do organizations change? How do people and organizations feel empowered to drive the change? And how do we help organizations and teams and individuals live as part of a new organizational space and designing things that bring more value to customers. So my space professionally has been in thinking about organizations and transformation, but my root passion is in the environment and around communities and how communities can thrive.
0: How interesting. What a great background and to really, like you're saying, matching up the past with the future and the current status of energy Is so important how long were you in China
1: Uh, just there for less than a year in a rural community just north of Vietnam so I was there for that stint at least for less than a year and then I went back to work in China in 2013 about a decade later in Beijing for consulting organizational change program but my time living in rural China was yeah less than a full
0: year I went to China back in 1994 the first time And they definitely weren't advanced when it comes to energy. In fact, it was a bumper to bumper and bicycles, you know, you couldn't get around very easily. Took like eight hours, 12 hours to get to a destination that would take two hours today. I look at the around 2006 when I went back to Beijing and it was, wow, fast track. But still, the challenges are so extreme there still because of all the utilities that are backed up with coal and so forth. And we may talk about that, but I know the transition that you're working on, the transformation, and you really are keyed in on strategy. And if you will, tell us a little bit more about yourself when it comes to strategy and what you have learned along the way, how to best attack, for example, how do you put together the past, the current, and the future and make it work in itself a challenge that we see today politically and otherwise. So. What are your strategy points?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, a lot of the work that I've done in strategy has been in really not just designing the strategic initiatives and what the future would look like, but in embedding that strategy. So, the approach that I've taken in my career and currently, uh, Talogens, we work on is designing the strategy in action. So, we work with folks at the front line of the organization. The leader of the organization, the leaders of the organization may have a vision. But really, it's the people at the front line of the organization who day in and day out know how things work, are in the field, are interacting with customers, interacting with the equipment, who understand the details of what's possible and what's not. And so for us, when we think about strategy... If you have a strategy, but it's never implemented, (laughs) it's sort of a a waste of time. And so for us, we look to have some sort of larger vision. The leader might have some sense of this is where we're going. This is where we'd like to go. But it's really people at the bottom. We work with a lot of frontline individuals to design that, teams at the frontline to imagine what could this be. Some of the things that we see in organizations is that there's, when you begin to cross-pollinate different functional groups, different silos, a lot can happen. And when you give them the skills to realize that they don't just have to have work orders come their way or they just have to be structured from the top down that they can actually really begin to think about what value could they bring to that new vision what can they add to it and they have the right people in the room to design it we've done projects where there's just been transformational change where the value is coming from it's always been coming in a lot of ways from the bottom up you know mm-hmm. people at the front line are right. doing that work but it's giving them the skills to say you know who do I talk to how do I talk to them and have a sense of that they can do this mm-hmm. i think often organizations, people over time, maybe you go into organization, you have all these great ideas of what's possible. And over time, you're told, oh, well, we can't do that. We don't do it this way. We don't do it that way. And certain recurrent challenges and maybe irritations can continue to play out. And so how do people begin to design that in a way that can take care of those while thinking about the future state? And so we do a lot of work. We have different change work, but our most interesting and amazing when we have frontline people who are beginning to make offers into the organization, into customers, designing the future from that level.
0: Intelligence Group, tell us about the mission and the vision of the group and what size of interest are you looking for as far as company alliances and partnerships?
1: Yeah, so our mission as a company is to help our clients imagine and build inspired futures, really by connecting people back to the meaning of the work that they do. And so our passion about that, and we're looking to do so in a way that, you know, we've worked with energy companies. We were founded in 2008, 2008. So it's been a, a while that we've been here, founded in Houston, and we are really about helping organizations through these transformations. So we've done a lot of work in energy. Some of them have been technology-based projects, digital projects, but with Energy Transition, we really want to help energy companies Think about a way to design that future place while being aware of their past experiences, capabilities, strengths, and what that looks like. And so when we do the strategy conversations, we bring the teams together who have the sense of what's out there. We make sure different conversations are happening. If they haven't yet begun to see you know, what other others doing, we bring those people to the table so people can begin to get a sense of the landscape. But really, it's designed from within, and we help co-facilitate that design.
0: Well, the workforce development is something that we discussed in detail and lengthy discussion in Houston with other energy leaders. And how do we combat, or I wouldn't say maybe combat, but how do we help that situation? I mean, the challenges for those that are entering the workforce, first of all, just entering it, are they looking at energy or what's the competition? And are we providing them a pathway or a roadmap for success? And as we discussed with others, it's a big challenge. But with your background, your ideas of strategy and so forth, how do we go about meeting that challenge?
1: Yeah, it is a big challenge. And I think one of the things, I'm also involved here in Houston on a f- board of a few different nonprofits. One of them is a workforce development and economic mobility nonprofit called Capital Idea Houston, where we take individuals who are 200% below the federal poverty guidelines and train them up into living wage careers in Allied Health's big area logistics, HVAC, There's been welding, other places like that. And so one thing that I do on the side as well, so my perspective comes from this as well, is helping people in the currently Houston community who have been disconnected from the energy Mm -hmm. industry in some way. They may not be aware of the opportunities there. They may not have the skills to get there. They may not have the resources to get to community college and to pay for community college. The work that I do there with that nonprofit is to help people understand what's possible and to get them there all the way through that education space into that career. So one of my spaces of background when thinking about workforce development is I'm also interested in how do we have this be it equitable transition, where we have people from existing careers, see what's valuable for them, and then also find ways that those who haven't necessarily been aware of the energy industry or connected into it are able to find careers for them. So one of the things that we've been doing on that side is looking to partner with companies, understanding Mm -hmm. what are the skill sets that are needed in the next part of the transition, and also helping folks understand that some of the skills that they have, their skills are different necessarily than their roles. So understanding what the skills are and helping them see what they can do in that transition. So facilitating conversations in that space and building the skills that they might not yet have.
0: That's wonderful! Congratulations on that effort, because that's definitely needed and welcomed, uh, not only in Houston but throughout the U.S. And I really appreciate absolutely, your leadership absolutely. that way. And it needs going back to Talgens Group. You're mainly headquartered. You mentioned in Houston. Are there other offices, and how do people find out about getting in contact with you? At maybe the website or other ways within our region or U.S. Maybe internationally.
1: Yeah. So we are based in Houston. We have Work that we do across the U.S. and a lot in Latin America as well. We're a multilingual, multinational team, and so we have work there. Looking to get in touch, our website is Taligens t a l i g e n s dot com, and mm-hmm. I'm on LinkedIn. So, anyone who's following this podcast, <laughs> there's those options as well.
0: Definitely, we'll definitely put that in the show notes as far as your contact information. That's very valuable, and so we appreciate that. Regarding Measurements of success. I always like to discuss how do you personally and your company, as far as that goes, measure success? And I'm big on uh, dashboard metrics in regard to not only company efforts and setting goals and how we achieve those, but also even on personal, uh, as far as uh, calendar and how we look at the dashboard as far as uh, not only goal setting, but how do we achieve? You mentioned about it's one thing to talk about. Things I remember you talked about, and then execute it. You know, it's one thing to set a goal, but not really follow through. And and it sounds to me like you have a strategy of when you do set a strategy or a dashboard or a, a measurement that it's carried out. How do you go about this measurement of success?
1: Yeah. So, well, on the personal side, I still follow New resolutions, and every year I have a. Set of domains that I think about. Some of them are connected with family. Some are connected with career, finance and wealth, health. I just have different areas that I say, what do I want to think about this year, and what have I done last year, and what's next. And so I do set goals at the beginning of each year, and I regularly look at where they're going. Some things may change over time, but I think setting that, I can come back to it. I'm like, okay, what am I up to this year that I sort of promised myself I'd be doing, whether it's around exercising more or it's around learning a new language (laughs) or whatever Mm -hmm. that might be. So that's something I have. I also, in that space, in terms of measuring success, it's there, but it's also what I begin to see around how I'm interacting in the communities I'm, I'm in. I'm involved in various nonprofits that I mentioned and the work in the company. And so are the nonprofits growing? Are we reaching more people? Are we making an impact in what we're doing? In terms of delivering on the work I do? Am I, if I say I'm going to together, helped put together a conference on clean energy, because I'm also on the board of nonprofit called Mm Cleantex. What does that that look like? Have I been able to pull that together and bring the speakers in? And where do I need to improve? And how do I also think about building a network? I think building networks is something I didn't have as much skill in at a younger age. I grew up on rural communities and farms, and you were self-sufficient growing up on a farm. So learning how to build networks and to appreciate that and to delegate is something I've had to learn as growing up but I think that's an incredibly powerful thing as well in terms of producing an impact. In terms of the company side, the work we do, there's sort of several different metrics we have. Some of them are connected with business results. So a lot of the projects we have, we find pilots and we have specific business metrics that we're going to try to hit and look to hit in the project, whether it's increased revenue or increased efficiency or something like that. So we look to have business metrics in the change that we're going to achieve. And then we also have other levels of metrics in terms of employee engagement, our change initiatives. For us to bring about this new future for the organization, there's a level of reengaging people often. There's a way of empowering them and having them reengaged. And so we have ways of measuring that as well through the project. And finally, throughout every change initiative, we can see what practices we begin to see, what ways are people changing their habits? Are they taking on these new practices? And operating in the new way that they're working at. So when we look at change initiatives, we have all these different metrics that we follow through that. But I think in terms of success, for me, I guess for any company, I'm a big fan of a business and companies mm-hmm. to produce value for people. And so I'd say success for a business is, you know, are the customers happy? Is there an impact that's being made, and that is that showing up in the world? And yeah, it could be customer impact. It could be employee satisfaction. It could be profits and revenue. But for me, I think the success is, are people happy going to work every day? Do they love what they're doing? Are they inspired by what they're doing? And for me, that's a big success with any project we have if we can produce that kind of result for our clients.
0: You know, I'd been giving a, a talk for the last three or four years, and it started off about 2018, and it continues, at least it's called the digital transformation from the whiteboard to the boardroom. And what I found was there was a disconnect from the whiteboard to the boardroom. A lot of the board would look similar to me. And you'd say you'd have seven or eight men in a room and that's fine. But at the same time, we're looking at say ESG. So let's talk about that as well. How is ESG being a part of your efforts? Because I see it's very important. That's why I'd mentioned even digital transformation is not just by itself. It's taking the ideas, the thoughts, the ESG factor and others to the forefront and finding a balance. So it's it everything's a balance. I mean, there's some things can get out of balance, but how do you get that balance when it comes to ESG and how's it being incorporated? Not mainly, maybe just not your company, but other companies that you see.
1: I think that's a CESG in a variety of places happening. People are, are in this question of how do we actually produce the results when we think about bringing ESG to the companies. So there may be this at the board level or investor level, some demand for greater accountability against certain metrics, whether it's carbon or social values or things like that. And then a lot of companies I think right now are in a space of looking at benchmarking, right? Where are we just, you know, thinking about these metrics, where are we now? Where can we get to? And then I think there's this larger component that I'm beginning to see companies try to wrestle with is, okay, so we know where we are or some sense of where we are because, you know, data is only good as what we've captured and there's a lot still out there to pull in. But I think the question that people learn is how do we reimagine who we are and how do people work differently in the organization than they had before? How do we actually drive that change? And for me, the work that I love to do is this frontline level work where we take people who have some sense, there's some direction around here's the vision, this is where we need to go. And the innovation happens at the front line of where things are at. Mm-hmm. Going to the workforce conversation. What I've been hearing as well with a lot of our clients and just friends in the industry is there are a lot of people who are in oil and gas, have been patrol engineers or geologists or things like that for a long while, and they would like to be part of that transition. They're looking to be part of the future that they see for the oil and gas, whether it's being involved in carbon capture or being involved in thinking about hydrogen or other things like that, and yet they see that the conversations are happening at another part of the company. Somewhere behind closed doors is where they see it happening and they don't see how they can become involved. And so there's a space of, I think, interest amongst a lot of people I've been talking to, to be involved, but there isn't yet the freedom they feel to do that. And so I think designing organizations or thinking about designing organizations in a way that helps empower people to innovate at those kind of frontline levels or in their functional areas without feeling that they need to have the strategy dictated to them down. They could have the general sense of it. They can have the vision. They can have even a here's we're going to focus in this area. But Mm -hmm. how do you help empower people at the front lines to be involved in creating that future? And so I think that's a big shift that I see organizations are still trying to make sense of one group talking to trying to think about how do we create a culture for ESG, an Mm -hmm. oil and gas company that's really trying to pivot to think about that. But it's going in small steps. And I think the way to begin to get people to change mindsets is to get people to work. You have engineers who are great at building things. And if you can get them to build different things and people to begin to work in that, there could be a transition that way too.
0: I appreciate what you're saying because empowerment is so essential. And, you know, when I was in my younger days, I would apply for a job and just try to find a job. And uh, many in that era did the same thing without looking at it from the standpoint of how does this really impact? the environment, how does it impact the culture or so forth. Today, when a young person, especially, is looking for a a job or a location, they're looking at the future, not just for themselves. And not to say that we weren't looking for the future as well, but even more specifically, they are. And they want to know that they're making like what you've done in the nonprofit world. They want to know they're making an impact, not just at their company, but making an impact for the future of generations ahead. So I think that's a good challenge to have, but it's how to, you know, a lot of times we've got this, I want to say, label in a sense in the energy sector is that we're all out for, you know, not necessarily striving for energy efficiency or environmental preservation. We're just out for making a profit. And there's so many great companies out there in the energy sector, and that's broad, you know, we're not talking just about oil and gas, but wind, solar, and on and on, that really give back and help others. I don't think we're really good at messaging sometimes what's your view of how can we improve? Again, I'm going to count on your strategy here being a strategist. How do we improve to where we land? And we talked about a little while ago, but even more so of how do we get the workforce to come our way?
1: Yeah. So I think one of the things is I'm one of those people that (laughs) would have been a just not necessarily pro-oil and gas, not understanding oil and gas. Mm -hmm. Initially, I mean, I lived you know, growing up in Vermont on a farm, and then I lived on kind of the East Coast and the West Coast, either before and after China, before coming to Houston. What I realized when I came to Houston is I was really humbled by the oil and gas industry and by all the folks who work in it and who are brilliant, kind, amazing folks, Mm -hmm. and what they accomplish every day in terms of bringing energy to the world and bringing energy that's affordable. We're seeing now with Russia and the Nordstrom pipeline and all that, what's happening when we don't have energy? And I think there's both the story of that and there's a story of, I think, engineers. I'd say for any young person looking to come into where to make an impact, oil and gas is the place to make the impact. If you're going to do anything, if you're caring about the environment, you're caring about the geopolitical space in the world, you're caring about what's happening at a social level, oil and gas is an amazing industry to be in because that's where the transition is happening and that's where... The questions and the challenges we as a society face in thinking about affordable energy and thinking about that tension with climate change and thinking about equity and energy and equity, oil and gas is a place where that challenge is, and that question is like something to chew on. (laughs) It's a place that's really kind of a key challenge for the world today is in this industry. And so if you're looking to be involved in a really important question and have brilliant people around you, brilliant engineers around you to solve it, and people who understand things like capital and infrastructure builds and everything that the oil and gas industry knows, I'd say that this is a place that of any industry come here, because this is where the ideas you have, it's also this whole space that's happening in industry right now these days where there is this transition and like this opening to what's possible Mm -hmm. and the future that's going to be energy is taking place now and is taking place yesterday in oil and gas. And so to be part of building that and building that at scale and building that globally is thrilling, I would say for anybody who is young, who is looking to do that. And so whether you are a data scientist or an engineer or someone who's a really great sales or whatever person in whatever field, I think this is a really great industry for that. And we haven't been as great at telling that story, but I would just say, come to Houston. I came to Houston and my mind was opened to the industry and to the people here and to what's possible. So I'd say, well, Houston or Oklahoma or wherever it might be, you'll be amazed by what's possible. And I just think that this is the place to be if you're interested in major challenges for the future of the world.
0: How wonderfully worded. Thank you so much, Sarah. And again, tell us how The audience, anyone that wants to get in touch with you or Taligens, how do they go about that? What's the website again?
1: Yeah, it's uh, Taligens, T-A-L-I-G-E-N-S dot com, or just reach out on LinkedIn. I'm there, Sarah Cove, C-O-V-E, pretty easy name, and would love to chat and connect and talk about this or talk about anything connected with energy and equity and the transition.
0: How wonderful. How wonderful. And thank you so much, Sarah, for this. You've been listening to Sarah Cove and with Talgens and outstanding, fascinating life you've lived and much success ahead as well, Sarah. And if you will, folks, please go to the podcast and love to hear from you and other episodes that is of our podcast. And if you will, uh, leave a review, love to hear from you and leave your comments and review. And as well as i like to end, i like to say, and it kind of combines with all the things we've been talking about today is, uh, and I'll leave this with you, is the future of energy depends on us, depends on all of us. And again, thanks, Sarah. Thanks to Talogens. And we hope you'll tune in for upcoming episodes of the Energy Fellows podcast. Thank you, Mark. Join us again next week on the Energy Fellows podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.